This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshas Tetzav, everybody, 5780. So it goes like this. We're starting from Parachof Ches Pasuk Yud Zayin. We're going to talk about the stones of the Choshen and talk about what these stones are all about. It says, Evan, you're going to fill them up with stones. This is the Choshen. The Choshen was a zeris by zeris. That's three tfachim by three tfachim, meaning half an amma, half an amma. Nine inches by nine inches on the chest of the coin. On it, he had four rows of three stones each, meaning one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. On those stones, we have Arbaturim Oven. Tor Odem Pitzerovarekas, the Torah the first row is Odem Pitzerovarekas. And if you look on your last page of your sheet over here, I wrote down all the different translations that are given by Ravarya Kaplan, by the Mitsuda Chomish, the Chiskuni, the Miamloes, the Pentateuch, Sansino, which is ba- really based on the King James Bible, the Silberman, and the Jerusalem Bible. All the different an- things that they have over here. So you can, some of them are Sardian, some of them are Carnelian, some of them are Ruby for Ruvain, some of them are Emerald, some of them are Topaz, Chrysolite for, for, for Shimon. You'll see by Levi there's Topaz, there's Emerald, there's Crystal, there's a Carbuncle, there's a Barrel. All of them are there. So you can look up all those things over here. I don't want to really get into the four, the colors over here, but we're going to go through what these stones are and what happened. So number one, Rashi says that the Choshen went on the coin gadol's chest and there were spaces to be filled in where the stones were placed. That was the Miluas Evan. It was an actual, almost like a hole that it was put into and they were like clicked in, so to speak. There was no glue. There was no like tape, nothing like that. They just clicked them in and they fit inside there. We don't know what they looked like. It could be that according to Rashi that each stone was smaller rectangles or squares, right? But the exact size is not known exactly how much it is. Either way, these are huge gemstones. Think about how much a regular engagement ring costs with a regular diamond. And you're talking about a massive stone over here. I don't know how many carats it would be, but it's a huge stone that would be right over there. There's another machlokis in the Mishnah Lamelech. It's brought down in Hilchus Klei Mikdash in Perak Tesalach Avav, whether they were squarish from the Rambam. The Rambam says squarish and seemingly Rashi says the same. Or the Ibn Ezra says they were round round stones that were on the Choshen. And I don't think people know that, but Ibn Ezra says that. We have no idea what the Makor is for that Rambam, but the Medrash HaGadol brought by the Torah Shlema says Meruvahaya. It was square, so it's likely that's what it refers down to. The Torah Shlema also brings down Shilas Achuvas Philon, or Pylon Philo, that says that they were like half balls and circular, which means they were not just a circle, round little thing that was deep, it looked like a half moon. Think of a stone like this that's a big circle, like a pearl. Cut it in half. Take half of that pearl and put it on. That's what all the gemstones look like. All of the gemstones look like these half moon type of things. So not necessarily round, not necessarily square, not necessarily rectangle. There were these half moon types of things over there. That's how they understood it. And as we said, the Choshen itself was nine inches by nine inches, half an amma by half an amma. That's what it seems to be. The Miyamluwe says these stones could not be cut down from their original size. They had to find stones that were exactly this amount without any work being done to them, which meant that not only were they huge stones? And if one of them is a diamond, think of a diamond that large, how much that would cost, right? Or a ruby that, that, that huge, how much that's going to cost. But it must have been impossibly hard to find a stone that's literally that big. That's ridiculous. How are you going to find a stone that that's big that's just built like that? Maybe that's why in the Gemara and Kiddushin, we talk about Dama Ben Nesina, who was a non-Jew whose father was sleeping on the keys. He had keys and access to the stones of the Choshen, and they were going to pay him in 
exorbitant amount of money, 600,000 dinar or 800,000 dinar, a huge amount of money to be able to go through. It clearly means that way. Now, where do we get that from? We got it from the one bimiluo sum. They have to be full. They have to be exactly as they are, right? And that's the way to go. Again, if you can't cut them, I don't know how the pearl would exist the way. Pearls don't exist in a half moon type of way. So it would be almost impossible. However, it's possible that you're not allowed to cut them using metal. If you could find another item in which you can cut with, for example, the diamonds are the hardest things on earth. Diamonds are extremely hard things that maybe you could cut it with that. The shamir worm was definitely used at some point. The shamir worm was without a question. He could use it right over there, but it's an unbelievable little thing. And the way that the shamir worm works is not a subject for right now, but it almost like popped off the stones. Shamir worm doesn't work exactly what you're thinking. Like it doesn't have really sharp teeth and it's like cutting through the stone. It cuts through the stone almost through what we would call like a chemical reaction causing the, the stone to split in half without doing anything to it. Ellie, what are you going to say? I don't know. I would assume it's a polished gem. I would assume that they polished the gem to go through, but that doesn't involve cutting necessarily. I'm sure they did something to it, but what they did, I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. There's some really cool stuff, though, about the Shamir worm, and maybe eventually we'll get into a shear on it. So now, we have four rows of three each. So that's interesting. Why wouldn't you have two rows of six, right? That's what you could have. Or maybe just something like that in any other way, but four rows of three specifically. So the Targum Yonason says it's a hint to the four corners of the world to show that Akash Baruch Hu is master over everything. Now, no, that does not show that the world is not round, that the world is square, and that he believed in geocentric theory. That's not the idea behind it. It's at the four known corners of the world, going from Asia, Africa, Europe, Asia, Europe, Africa, etc., and Australia. Those areas that they knew about were four corners, so to speak. And since there were four corners, we're going with those areas right over there. He was master over all of them. The Rabbi Ephraim says it hints to the four seasons of the year. The coin Gobble has the ability to control them through his tefillah, and therefore he was able to say that. Balaturim says it was for the four digulim, the four flags and that what everybody had or perhaps for the four imahos that again that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was in charge of those as well as the avos are the three so you have three stones for the avos the four for the imahos maybe to invoke the schus of Klai Yisrael maybe that's the idea behind it but either way it's four and three etc the Rabbeinu Ephraim says the three stones refer to the three feet the three raglayim that the world stands on Torah Avodah and Gemilas Chasadim we have Torah Avodah and Gemilas Chasadim those are the three feet that we stand on the Tzorah Hamor brings down that there were twelve stones for the 12 Shvatim, as we know. But not only that, it refers to the 12 constellations of the sky, the 12 months of the year, which are also connected with the Shvatim, obviously. Each constellation connected with one of the Shvatim, each one of the months of the year connected with one of the Shvatim, the Bnei Yisoskar, has that awesomeness going through all of that right over there, and more. Says the Torah more, there are 12 Tzirufim of the Shem Havaya, Yudke Vavke. And that we also know, that Bnei Yisoskar goes through how you can move around the letters. You could write, for example, Yud you could write Yud, then Hey, then Vav, then Hey. You could also write it as Yud, then Vav, then Hey, then Hey. You could also write it as Hey, Vav, Yud, Hey. You could do all those combinations. There are 12 possible combinations. Each one corresponded to one of the Shvatim. Each one corresponded to one of the constellations. Each one corresponded to one of the months of the year. And thus corresponded to one of the 12, 12 stones that were on the Choshen itself. The Magin Avram of Trisk, the Trisk Rebbe, says that these 12 stones have altogether 45 letters in the Chumash, in the Pesukim, 45 letters to hint to the word Ma. Ma refers to humility. Ma Nachnu said Moshe Rabbeinu. What, who are we? What are we? When it comes to you arguing with us, what are we supposed to do? The humility that Aaron had is what led the Kohanim Gedolim up until the end. Unfortunately, until the 
Kohanim Gedolim started to become bad in the second base of Mikdash. But that Midah of humility allowed the Kohanim Gedolim to be there. So all those are Ramazim, the 12, the 4, the 3, all those connections. That's the idea behind it. The Rabbeinu Bechaya says that he saw in the science books of his time, nature books of his time, there are 12 main categories of precious stones. And he says they're all Avos, like I guess the heads of stone, of other gemstones over there. Now today, if you look in the back on the fifth page, I do have a list of a bunch of main heads of gemstones. However, scientists call it 130 different categories, main categories. And then there are artificial or synthetic materials. For example, like agate, barrel, crystal barrel, corundum, right? Diamond, feldspar, garnet, jade, jasper, onyx, peridite, pyrite, quartz, topaz, turquoise, tourmaline, zeolite, and zircone. Some of the stones that you've heard of, right, are inside there. For example, a corundum includes a ruby and a sapphire, right? And all these other ones you might have heard of, tiger's eye or smoky quartz or citrine or amethyst. Those are all types of quartzes. I don't know what this refers to, what the Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is referring to, but somehow there are 12 categories that he says are there, and those are the 12 stones that we're referring to over here, and each one is there. Now, the Kliyakr says the Choshen was Mechaper for incorrect dinim. What was it called? The Choshen? Mishpat, right? The, the Shulchan Aruch, or really the Tur, the Bala Turim, when he wrote his Sefer, can made the four different categories. He wrote Orachayim, Yoradea, Evan Ezer, and Choshen Mishpat. Choshen Mishpat goes into the judgments that one has to do, like stuff between Bein Adam Lechavero and all the issues that deal Bein Adam Lechavero. That's what Choshen Mishpat is. The Choshen Mishpat was thus named because it was Mechaper for improper dinim. If somebody judged improperly, this is the Kapara. By the Kohen Gadol wearing this, it's Mechaper. The same way that the Ksones was Mechaper for murder. The Mech- Nasayim, the little pants, the almost like boxers that he wore, was Mechapah for Gilearias. That sits for Azus Metzach, for brazenness. Each one had its own kapara. Says the Kliyakar, this was for incorrect dinim, and therefore there are Ramazim here how judges should judge cases. For example, each row had three stones for three judges that need to be there for every case. So you need three. One and two could work. The Gemara and Senator in the first part talk about that, that one person could judge or two people could judge Bidiyavid. But you should have three judges to end up having a majority in order to judge any case. Each stone shone brightly when they needed, first of all, because they were just very precious stones, but when they needed to get the words out, the letters shone brightly in front of them to show that each person that serves as a judge should be Toho Kiboro. His inside should be like his outside. He should not be a guy who looks good on the outside but is a piece of garbage on the inside. His inside should be the most important part. That's number two. Not only that, number three, some of these stones were extremely expensive and some of these stones were super cheap. They were very cheap. Think about it. Some of these things were just basically glass that they were able to get there. And that's because a judge should judge every case equally. Every case should be equal. Even that of $100,000 to $12 million to one that's 100 bucks. The judge should judge everyone equally and therefore the stones were equal to one another. Each of the Shvatim's names were written on the stones for the same reason. There should be no difference between very great men, men who are leaders of others, and other people who are not as great, right, who come to get judged. You can't throw out somebody in order to judge someone else's case. That was a timeout that is a little bit of an issue. If a great guddle comes to get his case judged and he's going to have to wait, 
typically they do ask, but okay, that's another story for another time. And number five, the Pleachter says, the Choshen was placed on Aaron Cohen himself because he was an Anav, as we just said, the Nachnumad that we said is 45 letters altogether, which shows that the judges themselves should be filled with humility, that every single person should know who they are as people, that they're good people and therefore everything's all there. Not only that, says Rabbi Ephraim, there are four warnings given over to the judge. Don't tell one litigant to stand while the other is sitting. You can't have one of them say, okay, you can sit. If they're both going to stand, good. If they're both going to, if one has to sit, have both of them sit. You can't have one standing and one sitting at the same time. That is usher. Number two, you can't tell one of them to shorten their words or to speak quickly. Whatever he wants to say, you, gotta, you have to allow him to say and let him say it in his time. Number three, you shouldn't say to others, I would have called you innocent, but my friends thought you were guilty. You can't blame the others when you come out of court saying that. Number four, you cannot listen to one word, the word of one litigant without the other person being there. You have to have both of them right there in front of you at the same time. They're hinted to in the stones. Listen to this. Leshem Shavo is Shavo is in to sit there. That if they're either, if they're going to be sitting, they both have to sit. The second do Yashpe. Yashpe is he has to have Yeshpo. He has to have a mouth. You have to allow him to speak. Let him say what he's going to say. The third in Ba'ach Lama. Ach Lama. Why would my brother do that? So to speak, I can't believe my brother said you're guilty. I would have said you're innocent. And finally, the fourth from Sapir. You have to let them talk together. Sipur together. So those are hinted to in the stones themselves. I'm sure that if we went through the Rabbeinu Ephraim, maybe the Rabbeinu Ephraim himself would have other answers for the other stones, other halachos. But these four I found in the Rabbeinu Ephraim, they make a lot of sense. The Malbim says there is a machlokas how they went. Now, the Pashup shot is what everybody sees and what everybody goes through is what everybody's used to, right? You see Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, and then Yehuda, Yisachar, Zvulun, Don, Naphtali, God, Asher, Yosef, Binyamin. Those are the 12 that everybody knows about, and that's the obvious one. The problem is that's not Rashi. That's the Rambam. The Rambam holds that it went Leah's kids first, then the Bnei Shvachos, and then Yosef and Binyamin at the very end. That's the Rambam's view, and he says that straight out. That's definitely Rambam. The Rabbeinu Bechaya seemed to say that as well, that Yisachar and Zvulun follow Yehuda, and Targum Yerushalmi goes with that as well. But Rashi says it's Kiseder Toldosam. Toldosam, which means how they were born. Which means it's Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Don Naftali, God, Usher, Yisachar, Zvulin, Yosef, Binyamin. Yisachar, Zvulin are put toward the end because they were born after the Bnei Shvachos. So it really goes that way. That's how Rashi Paskins, and that's what Targum Yonasim Ben Uziel says. Targum Yonasim Ben Uziel says it goes that way. That's how you end up going right over there. So that's a Machlokas. That is a Machlokas where it goes through. There's also a Tzioni at the end of Bamidbor who says that the order of the stones was actually according to how they camped in the Midbor. It went Yehuda, Yisachar Zvulin, because that was one Degel. And then Ruvain Shimon Gud, that was another Degel. And then, listen, this is an interesting one, Ephraim, Menashe, and Binyamin, because not Yosef and not Levi, because they were part of the Degelim over here. And then finally, there was Don Naphtali Usher. Not the way you think about it, Levi wasn't even on the Choshen, according to Sion. He wasn't even there. There was no Levi, and there wasn't a Yosef. It's a really interesting idea over here. The Torah Shlema brings another two opinions. But this is something that I, we get so used to. We look at these books and we just see the words, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zvulun. We forget that Yisachar, Zvulun were actually born later. And Rashi's Shita is that's not what it looked like. That is not what it looked like at all. There are amazing Ramazim aside from the numbers in these stones. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says, Odom is spelled without a vav, as in the word Adam, because it refers to great tzaddikim in the world. In the word Pitida. 
the test has a crown above it, which is usually made of three lines. But in this test, in the Pasuk, it's got four lines. Everybody knows Shatna's gates, right? Shin, Ayin, Tes, Nun, Zion, Gimel, Tzadi, in the Torah, have a crown on top of it. There's a little three-pronged crown around those letters, Shatna's gates. This test should have three crowns. It's got four. And the reason why it is four is because four times a test. What's the gematria of a test? Nine. Four times nine is? 36, for the 36th tzaddikim. And that's what the pitita represents. There's Adam pitita. There are 36 Adams in the world. 36 great tzaddikim will keep the world running. That's one thing the Rebbe Noah Prime says. The word Yahalom is spelled without a vav. It's the same letters as the word Mila. Because getting a bris Mila is as if you're part of the Urimitum. It's almost as if you get to carry the Urimitum. Obviously, it's only for Kohanim Gidolim. But it's as if there's a schus that you get by doing such a thing. The Yalka Ruveni number 43 says the three stones in the third row, Leshem, Shavob, Achlama, are not in Gan Eden. You hear this? Yalka Ruveni says they're not in Gan Eden. Because Dun, which is one of those letters, is called a Nachash by Yaakov Avinu, and Hashem does not allow for liars to appear before him. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Those three stones that are on the Choshen are not allowed in Gan Eden because of Dun. Because of Shevet Dun being on those, and he's only on one of the stones. And yet still he's not mentioned. It's crazy. And then the Meshachachma points out that the third stone in each Pasuk is above. If you want to look back in the Pasuk that you have on your first page, it says... Odem Pitta Uvarekes. Second Pasik. Nofech Sapir Viyahalom. It says Leshem Shavo Ba'achlama. In the fourth row, I, nobody would notice this. <laughs> you get this? Nobody notices this. The fourth row it says Tarshish Vishohan Viyashpe. I didn't even put it in when I wrote it inside. If you look at my thing, I made a mistake. I didn't even notice it when I was writing it down. I just assumed it was all the same. Says the Meshachachma that set the one with the Shoham is above right there. Maybe because it's the word before it is Tarshish. And then it says Shoham. Guys, all of you have used an art scroll sitter at least once, right? Throughout Shema, what does art scroll do when it comes to same letters? Va'avadatem meheira. What do they do? They put a little line there or a little line like that so that you don't read it together because Shmaza del Raisa. So reading it, you have to read it properly. So you say, Vavaratem, stop, Meheira, right? You do something like that. All those words are like that. It could be that in order to read it correctly, you read Tarshish, stop, Shoham. In order to make that differentiation, we wrote above, Tarshish, the Shoham. It's interesting that that would be written that way. But the Meshachama suggests maybe it's like that. But he says another one. He says, how does Rashi know, back in Parshas Vayeshev, that Yosef Atzadik was hanging out with the Bnei Shvachos? That he was besties with the Bnei Shvachos? How do you know that? Where do you get that from? So it says, as Bnei Bilhav, as Bnei Zopah, Nishaviv, etc. Says, it's possible, says the Meshachama, it's from over here. This Shoham, the Shoham with the Vav is connected to the one before it. Who's the one before it? According to the Rambam, it's the Bnei Shvachos. So he's connected with them. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. Says the Vav, the Vav is showing that he was mamish together with them. It, that is an absolute crazy pshat, but at least that's another reason why there could be a Vav there. Usher's stone is a Tarshish. This is the name of one of the officers of Achashverosh who is used by the Gemara in Megillah Yerbez Mabez as a line that the Malachim said to Achashverosh to destroy the Persians. Had they been destroyed in proper Big Day Kuna in front of you, had they served, I'm sorry, in proper Big Day Kuna in front of you, maybe, maybe then they should be, they should be kept. But they haven't. They didn't use the Tarshish. 
says the Malachim. Why should they go ahead and live? Their complaint was the following, says the Meshachachma. Usher had many beautiful daughters who married into the kingdom. They were raised properly and they were raised beautifully to end up marrying the kings. The non-Jews, on the other hand, what did they do at their party? They had their women dance without clothing on, like Vashti, through their parties that everyone could see them to show off their beauty to others. That's the difference. The way that Ahasuerus treated his wives and the Malachim were catching up on that. The Kohanim Gedolim married B'nai Asher, Benos Asher, which was the Tarshish. While these people, look what they're doing with their daughters and what they're doing, that's the difference between the Jews and the non-Jews. Why are you allowing the non-Jews to rule over the Jews? That was the complaint that the Malachim had against them. Okay, and now we get into a little bit of a different one. The Balaturim says, even though we don't really know which Shevet gets which, gets which stone, it is interesting, the gematria of Yashpeh, Yud Shin Pehe, is the same, aside from one, it's off by one, from Binyamin Ben Yaakov, 395 and 396, to tell us that he was last, he was the one who had a mouth and didn't say anything. What did he have a mouth about? He knew what happened to Yosef. How did he know? Maybe he had Ruach HaKodesh. Maybe the Shvatim told him. Maybe he overheard them. But he never said a thing. He never said one word. According to the Chidah, Yosef Tzadik said to him when they were at the party, he turned to Binyamin and said, I am Yosef. Don't tell the Shvatim. I'm going to put this cup in your bag so that I can get you back, so I can get Yaakov Vino back. And he didn't say anything. He was a Yeshpo. He had him out, but he didn't use it. He never used it whatsoever. The Chsam Sofer says in Drashos, that was the schus for Binyamin to have Mordechai. Mordechai was a Tznua, and Binyamin was a Tznua. Haman spoke Lashon Hara against the Jews. They needed a schus to fight against that. So they had a guy, Binyamin, who was Yeshpo, who he could have spoken Lashon Hara. He could have said something bad about the Shvatim and told Yaakovina what they had done. And he didn't. He was quiet. He was the Yeshpo, and that was the schus. So the whole concept of this is right from there. Why Mordechai was saved? And that's Nichnas Yain Yatsasod, that somebody was able to get it out. Paul, what are you going to say? Why would uh, Binyamin believe Yosef when he said that I'm Yosef? Why not? Because when he, when he revealed to the brothers, he had to shoot There was something a little weird, though, wasn't it? You know, like everybody else in Mitzrayim was African and he was Mediterranean looking. It was strange that, like, if they asked any question, it was drama. Like, I, I, I am shocked that the Shvatim didn't know. I like the Pshat from the Chidah that the Shvatim all figured it out. <laughs> that at the end of the day, they knew it. They just thought he was a Russia gummer. But they all figured it out. And yes, you have answers. The Ramban had, says he had a mask on. Others say that he was hiding from them the whole time. He wouldn't look at them. They wouldn't look at him. There are answers. There are definitely answers. But I 100% like the shot a lot better. The Shvatim knew who it was. And they were just like, he's, in, he's a Russia. We don't want to deal with him. Yosef's dead, says Yosef Yehuda. Yehuda already said before, we don't know where his brother is. But now he's saying he's dead because he's a Russia. We don't like him anymore. So I, I hear you. I, just, I would go with why not. Like if Binyamin was offered that, I would say 100%. And then the Mayana Shal Torah said, we brought up the Dhamma Benesina thing. I'm, I'm not going to go into that. But there is a medrash that says that it was only one stone. It was the Yashpa and that's that. The Jasper stone and that's that. Okay, now I have one of the greatest Rabbeinu Bachayas of all time. I'm going to add to it using the Miyam Loes and the Medrash Talpios. This Rabbeinu Bachaya is so long and so awesome. He goes through every stone of all the Shvatim and tells you all about the stone. And adding to that, the Miyam Lois brings a couple stories to go with it. The Medrash Talpio says a couple other things. Now, this is a tour that I've actually given before in the Field Museum. 
in Chicago, the Field Museum here. I did it once for Skokie Yeshiva guys, for the base metrics guys, and once for somebody else. I don't usually do it in the Field Museum. Field Museum is a little hard to, to do it in. But it is amazing when you go through. They have three sections that are amazing to go through and to talk about, etc. And one of them deals with these, the gemstones of the Hoshan. Going into what the gemstones of the Hoshan are and what they're all about. They have an entire gemstone section. They have something that's there. I think, Jack, you're still in the video. Do you want to pull up? Okay, so perfect, you're perfect. So that would be, that's one thing, but I want to go through everything that goes over here, and it's an amazing idea. It's an absolute amazing idea. First, he says, every stone, every single one has a skula. Now, a skula means something that makes no sense, and properties that only work for people who are tahor in their ways. If you're a pure person, you don't get involved in tummy things, you don't do wrong things, stones will do something for you. There will be something amazing about it. Now, they are pure gashmi. They don't move. They're called domain all stones. They're called something that's silent. You can't ask a chair to do something where you can't ask anything. A rock doesn't do anything where it's not like a plant. It's not like an animal. It's certainly not like a human being. It's its own thing. But says the Rabbi there is ruchnius connected to every stone. There is a spirituality behind every stone. And even stones can pull down shefa from the heavens. Literally, awesomeness coming down from the heavens. And even then, if you know how to utilize it correctly, you can get amazing things from stones. Reuven had a red stone that likely is a sardion or a ruby. The red color stands for his reddened face, says the Rabbi Bechaya, when he committed the sin with Bilhah, moving around her bed or whatever it was, and therefore admitted to it afterward he was embarrassed and he turned red from it, therefore his stone is red to stand for the fact that he's a Baal Tshuva. The school associated with the ruby is that any woman who carries it will have an easier birth and will be protected from miscarriage. This is something, there are people that have ruby gemachs, that if a woman is known for having a hard time giving birth or a first-time person, first time where she's giving birth, they will go to this ruby gemach and they'll get a ruby and wear it during her ninth month to make it an easier childbirth and an easier pregnancy. Similar to the dudayim that Ruvain found in the field that he gave to his mother, who she eventually gave to Rachel, that helped her give birth to Yosef at Tzadik, so too Ruvain was able to do such a good thing. You should grind down the ruby, fill it in, put it into drinks or food, and eat it. It will help with some type of digestion, especially when a woman is going to give birth. Is that amazing? Absolutely amazing. Most women, when they're giving birth toward the end, have an issue of going to the washroom. It's hard for them, difficult for them to go to the washroom. This is a skula that will help for that. But it's an amazing skula that... It's not used very often. Shimon had a green stone, maybe an emerald, which shone very bright. That's because Shimon's child, Zimri ben Salu, would eventually sin with the women at Shittim, with Cosby, etc. And he turned green because Arias turns your face green when a person does something wrong. When it comes to Arias, that's what happens over here. Simon la'avera hadrokan. The simon that someone's done in Avera is hadrokan. There's a way of seeing it spiritually in the person's face and it's hinted to over here. This stone has a skula, says the Rabbeinu Bechaya, that if you have it on you, it will cool you down. If you're in the mood for Arias, it will cool you down and stop you from having Taivadika thoughts. It'll knock down your Yetzirah. The Miam Lois brought a story which he says there was an officer who wanted to see if his wife was faithful to him when he was going out of town. So he made her wear an emerald made her wear an emerald. And when he came back, he said, do not take off this emerald for the next month while I'm gone. He came back and he found that the emerald was cracked. 
And he realized that that was the reason why. It's not much empirical evidence, but that, that, that's why it happened. Shimon, he says, says to me, I'm always, is the opposite. He was so far from Znus. There were few people during that one time in Shita, but otherwise, Shimon was so far away from Znus, he was able to hold this gemstone and it would never crack. The emerald will not do anything for you. That, that's, that's number two. Our second one with the, the green stone, which is probably an emerald. Levi maybe had a carbuncle. Now, I will forewarn you. If you're going to look up the word carbuncle, on Google, C-A-R-B-U-N-C-L-E. Don't look it up because carbuncle means a sore on a person's body that is absolutely disgusting looking, okay? It is also a type of stone. So if you want to look it up, you look it up gemstone, carbuncle, or don't go online ever because it's usher. It's one of those two, okay? So just be careful with it because when I first saw it in Ravari Kaplan's Living Torah, I saw the word carbuncle. I'm like, what is a carbuncle? So I went on a safe Google search and I went on carbuncle and I saw Probably something that would most, make most people throw up, but I've got an iron cast stomach, so it didn't, didn't cause me any problems. But it is the most disgusting thing you've ever seen before in your life, unless you're a doctor and you deal with skin diseases, and then it's not. But that lady had this stone, which was a type of carbuncle, which is similar to the stone that Noah had on the Teva. We talked about this, what the Tsohar was in years past. Whether the Tsohar was an iridescent type of stone that gave off its own light. We don't know of any stone that gives off its own light. They all refract or refract light, but they don't give off any light on their own. We don't have things like that. There are animals that do that, but there are no stones that we know of that has this. This is what Levi had. Since Levi lit up the world with his Torah learning, and Moshe's face lit up his whole house, and he's from Shevet Levi, so too this stone allows someone who has it to become wiser. You, it allows your eyes to be lit up when you have it. If you grind it up and you put it into food, you will end up becoming smarter. A great idea for somebody who's taking the SATs or the ACTs, take it right before you take those tests and you will become wiser from having a little, little bit of this carbuncle over here. Now, what exactly it is, I don't know. So that's a little bit of a problem. But that's number three. Number four, Yehuda also had a greenish stone, but it was more like a sea green, sea blue, right? That type of idea. Because Yehuda made a mistake with Znus, with Tamar. And therefore, since he admitted to it, he took away from that. But nonetheless, it was something like that. That was Yehuda. The school behind the stone is that someone who has it will chase away all of his enemies. That's why it's called Nofech. It turns everybody else around. And Yehuda would be fighting very many wars in the future. He would need the strength of the stone. So he had the Nofech. He had this type of stone that somehow was able to go through. And again, I don't know how to translate it. The best way that I can get it down over here is that it was either a carbuncle, an emerald, or turquoise. One of those two, one of those three right over there. Okay, number, then that's Yehuda. Number four, are we up to four or five? Five. Number five is Yisachar. Yisachar had a sky blue stone. Again, he's going with the Rambam, as I mentioned before. Rashi argues with this. Sky blue stone of sapphire, which was given him because he was a brilliant man who sat and learned Torah all day. We know, guys, that the Luchos were on sapphire stone, on sapir, Luchos sapirion, sapirion. They were made on sapphire, and they looked like the appearance of the sky in its brilliant blue, which is what the Kisiyah covenant is supposed to refer to. It's the color of humility, which is extremely necessary for learning Torah. This stone is great for the eyes. 
It brings your eyesight back when you pass it before your eyes, which is important for anybody who's reading all day long, right? If they're reading in bad light, you need something. That's what you're going to have. And the Torah is also called Me'iris Enayim for that reason. It helps for all injuries and hurts, any type of swelling that you might have in your body. It heals the body as well. You take a sapphire stone and you put it over that area. It's supposed to help. The Mi'am says it also keeps people far away from arguments and brings about peace, which is also really good for somebody learning Torah as a Chavrusa who starts fighting with his Chavrusa over something and then is able to make peace with them afterward. Zvulin had a pearl or a diamond, which is entirely white, a symbol of wealth and riches that it would be Zoha to unlock because that's what Zulin did. This stone has a school that you will be successful in business as well as the ability to sleep which is very important for a guy who's at sea all the time like Zvulin or a businessman who always has these, these things on his head of all the riches that he's involved with, what he has to do. Miam Luis adds, if it's a pearl, then it's round because the world is round. And unfortunately, if you've looked at the volatile stock market over the last week, you can go up 1,200 points one day, 1,000 points the next, 1,100, and then another 1,000. It will keep going up and down. That's the definition of the round stone that goes over and over and over again. Today, you might be wealthy. Who knows what's going to be? If it was a diamond. The Sefer told us Yitzchak in our parsha says, diamonds hold back a baby from giving birth. A baby from giving birth. A woman from giving birth to a baby. If a woman has a diamond on her, she will have a difficult childbirth. I have not seen that before. I just found it this year. Doctors, therefore, he says, should remove any diamond rings from a woman's hand before she gives birth. And if she does, even though she has a diamond on her hand, check if it's a cubic zirconia. That. (laughs) <laughs> she might want to ask questions. But that's amazing, isn't it? The diamonds have, so it's rubies that help and diamonds that prevent, something some, that hurt, I guess. Dun had a leshem. We don't know much about the leshem. The way that it was translated over here in the back is mostly it was a jacinth, an opal, a topaz, a ligure, one of those types of stones. This leshem has an image inside of it. When you look at it, it has an upside-down man. I've tried it on many different stones. I have no idea what it refers to. I haven't seen a stone that looks like this with the upside-down man inside it with the clarity of the stone. The reason why is because Shevet Dun turned around the world by worshiping Pesel Micha. They turned everything around, and therefore it's that. Their name of the city that they took over when they moved, if you look at all maps, you'll see that Dun is on the bottom left-hand side, right by Yehuda, on all maps when it goes through the Shvatim. And then Dun is also on the top right-hand side. Why is Dun there? Because Dun in the middle, it's toward the end of Shoftim. They left because they needed more land. They went all the way up north, and they found the city called called Leshem. It's also called Laish in the Psukim. Leshem and Laish, Dibra Yom and Shoftim have it a little bit different. They went in that area. Leshem is because of their stone. The Miamloi says, because Dun fought in war and constantly was looking up to the heavens, always looking up to the heavens, he was given the gemstone with the upside down human being, meaning looking up the whole time. If the human being is there, he's always looking up, so to speak. I guess not down, but looking up in that way. And therefore, he says also it could be that he was Leshem Shamayim, thus Leshem which is why when Yaakov saw him, he gave him bracha. May God hope for your salvation, like Shimshon did everything. Now there is no official schula written the Rabbeinu Bachai about this stone. He doesn't write it. The Miam Lois doesn't write it. Rav Wolfson says the lesson behind it is that no matter how far away you are, you're still part of Klal Yisrael. No matter what you do, the man may be upside down, but nonetheless, it's still a man in there. That's why Dun is compared, he's called the Ma'asef of Klai Yisrael. He gathers in all those people that are not part of Klai Yisrael or don't consider themselves part of Klai Yisrael. He's able to bring everyone back in. That's the idea behind it. Now, I will tell you the Medrash Talpios 
brings down by the ephod that anyone who has this stone who is about to die, this stone becomes dark and it loses its luster. Once the person dies and a new person picks up the stone, it becomes bright once again. Amazing, right? Absolutely amazing. That's what it says. It strengthens those with weak hearts and removes worry and causes you to be happy again. Again, I don't know what it is. It's got to be a stone with a little person of a man inside there, and I couldn't find it. But again, you know, how much research am I really doing? I'm not a gemologist. The naphtali, did you know there was a word like that? Probably figured it out. Do you know what it means? Gemologist? You could probably figure it out. The study of gems. Very good, guys. I'm very proud of all of you. Now, Naphtali had a turquoise stone called Shavu, which is often carried by, he says, horse riders, because it keeps your sense of balance and allows you to ride horses without fear of falling. Isn't that interesting? That's what he says. Naphtali's name means to be attached. Naphtuli Niftalti, that I'm attached to something. So it makes sense that having this stone will be a property that allows you to be attached to your horse. So I guess Naphtali was a big horse rider. You know what's interesting about that? What do you guys know about Naphtali? He's the fast guy. Why would he want a horse? He's like the guy who doesn't need the horse. Isn't that interesting? So I thought about that when I was going through, but hold on. So then I found that Miam Loi says that Naphtali was willing to run to do mitzvot instead of riding to do an animal. So meaning, when he ran to go get the shtar mechir of Aranas Machpela, he ran to do it so he could do a mitzvah on his feet. But he was an expert rider. He would only run when running to do a mitzvah, and that's that. He was willing to go himself. Otherwise, he always went down. Medrash Kalpios adds that this, stool, this stone also cools down a person's body, I guess because he's running all the time, or always doing something, cools down his body and it helps him sleep well. It helps a person's heart. It protects him during times of plague or changing weather. I could use that with my allergies. It should be worn around the neck, right on the heart, touching the flesh, he says, this turquoise stone that's called Shavu. Yeah, Matthew, what were you going to say? Uh, I was saying, you made me think of it uh, the, other way, the other way. Yeah. Where you say, you know, he was fast, so what do you need a horse for? So I was saying, well, maybe we know it was fast because he was He fast. rode on horses. That's interesting. It's not how Ramosha learns it. Ramosha has that famous truth about why magic is us or et cetera, going into whether you, know, you can hire a magician or whatever. And he says, can we blame a person for being really good at something? Like, for example, did anybody think that Shimshon was doing magic because he was super strong? Did anybody think that Naphtali was doing magic because he was super fast? No, because it's humanly possible. So why should we blame somebody for being so good? But that's a good shot. That's a good shot. Maybe he was fast because of the horse. It just seems interesting. It seems interesting that he was the best horse rider. So he was like standing there, like standing on the horse, you know, just walking as the horse was riding. It would be cool. All right, God had a type of crystal or calf's eye called Achlama. This is a stone which is abundantly common, he says, and everyone recognizes for what it is. So to God, the Sheva will be well known for who he is. He's the guy who fights in wars and knocks guys' arms off and heads off. He was the guy who was able to do it. The school of this stone is to take away any fear. If you have nightmares at night, look at the word achlama is in chalom. You will have no worries. No worries. If you wear it on your finger as a ring, it will make you see good dreams all the time. This achlama type of ring. Ravaria Kaplan says the violet or purple stone that's known as achlama that this was used as was thought by the ancients to be an antidote for drunkenness. Very good for upcoming Purim. 
right? You have this for drunkenness and turns yellow on the edges when lighted up. I like to see what it is. But again, it might be a calf's eye. It might be a type of amethyst. And amethyst is, again, one of the categories of stones. It could be like that. We have usher. Usher had an oily-looking stone that was called Tarshish. Some say it was a deep blue, which has a skula that allows those to have it to better digest their food, especially if you grind it up and you put it in your food. We talked about that before with the rubies. That allows a person to look healthy and be healthy, which is something that Shevet Asher was known for because of their beautiful daughters. Miyamoli says he had many olive groves in his land, which he used for process, to process oil, for lighting for the base of Mikdash, and for that, he was well rewarded. The Medjish Tapio says, it's good for your breathing and your gallbladder, he says. He says, it's interesting, it keeps demons away from you. That's how the Medjish Tapio adds on to the Rabbeinu Bechaya. He says, it makes you a successful businessman and wise in the ways of the world. All of that is the Tarshish over there. Yosef had a black onyx stone, which is known for helping people find favor in the eyes of others. Shoham is the same letters as Hashem. Both Hashem and Hashem, you'll have a good name among other people. Someone who wears or has this stone when speaking to the king will find himself very successful. His voice will be heard. Right? That's what he says. Medjitopia says grinding up the stone will heal you from the effects of poison. So you should have this stone and go through it. Those who know the Rambam story, the famous Rambam story where he told his students to give him a certain elixir before he had the poison that was given to him by the other guy. If you don't know the story, it's a long story. But either way, regardless, it's likely use the onyx stone to do it. That's what's supposed to help you when it comes to poison. Wearing it on your finger will help you from becoming very sick. And finally, Binyamin had a multicolored jasper. Some say it was red, black, and green, whose school is that it stops bleeding from the mouth or from Nida. The same way that Yosef, that Binyamin held himself back from speaking bad things, Yesh Peh, right, the Yash Peh itself, so too he got this schoolay to be able to be taken care of. Medrash Talpiyah says someone with this stone will never drown. You hear this? He will not have any stomach aches. It heals the eyes and takes away the desire for other things out there. Although some of these things sound amazingly strange, the Rashba talks about it in his Chuvas in number 413, in his Chuvas Chelek Aleph. In fact, the Sefer Likute Chaver Ben Chaim, he's a Talmud of the Chsam Sofer, and this is quoted by the Otzer Plosa Torah. He's made that he saw that his Rebbe, this is the Sefer Likute Chaver Ben Chaim, he saw his Rebbe, the Chsam Sofer, carried a gemstone in his bag that was green. He never asked him about it, he never asked what it was, but he had a gemstone that was green in the bag. Someone said it was a stone in Hungarian that was called a smark. I tried looking it up, I couldn't find it. My German is just not there, and Hungarian is just not there. But if somebody wants to look up in Hungarian, if there's a stone called a smark, that was the stone that the Chsam Sofer had himself. There's a Meashiloch over here as well, but that's another issue altogether, something else to go into in another year. On your fifth page over here, guys, which we're not going to go to, it goes to a different way of classifying stones. I wrote over here the Ibn Ezra talks about that we don't know which one it is, but these are the main English translations by the Chumashim that are written in English. I would use Art Scroll, but Art Scroll just writes the stone as is, right? doesn't translate any of them right there. And then it goes through the precious, semi-precious. I took something from Wikipedia over here, as well as the 130 types of minerals. The main ones that you've heard of are right over here. They go through. But there's so much more, everyone. It's just an amazing subject. And something to know, that if you do have something that you might need a stone for, find that stone and figure out what it is and get a bunch of them, maybe, and put them out there. Mood stones? I don't know. We'll stop with that. <laughs> have a good job, everybody.